Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. Almighty God, on this day, we worship you. On this day, we remember the sins of violence and the presence of evil in this world. On this day, we remember acts of courage and selflessness amidst fire and fear. On this day, we ask for courage to be your people quick to listen and slow to speak. On this day, God, we proclaim Jesus as Lord. Amen. I invite you to rise and body your spirit.
Confession of 1967 is a confession similar to the Apostles' Creed that we as Presbyterians uh, agree with and adhere to as best as we can. And in this confession, it says this about sin. It says that wise and virtuous men and women through the ages have sought the highest good in devotion to freedom, justice, peace, truth, and beauty. Yet all human virtue, when seen in the light of God's love in Jesus Christ, is found to be infected by self-interest and hostility. All people, good and bad alike, are in the wrong before God and helpless without God's forgiveness. Thus, everyone falls under God's judgment. No one is more subject to that judgment than those who assume that they are guiltless before God or morally superior to others. I love those words because I think it's important in hearing those and going into our prayer of admission, understanding that we all fall short of God's glory. So let us pray together our prayer of admission found in the program. God, forgive us, for we have done so much wrong. In your name, we have done wrong. In your name, we have caused pain. Forgive us, God. Help us to be a people of healing rather than a people of harm. Help us to build up your community and free us from our desire to hate. Father, 
Confession continues saying this God's sovereign love is a mystery beyond the reach of the human mind. God's love is a mystery, and God forgives us, and why God does is a mystery. But God forgives us so that we might try to forgive one another. Let us live in peace with God and with one another. Alleluia. Amen. I'm really excited to introduce our preacher to you today. The Reverend Dr. Tom Toole has flown all the way from Los Angeles to be here and to bring the word of the Lord to you, Downtown Church. Tom is um, one of my preaching mentors. He's like a, a pastor to pastors all across the country. And I thought it would be really cool to bring Tom here today to preach because um, 20 years ago, he was serving a Presbyterian church in New York City um, when the Twin Towers were hit in 9-11. So he knows something, a little something about suffering, which our word um, from the Lord is about today. So welcome, Tom, and we are excited to hear the word proclaimed. Well, I'm honored to be here at Downtown Church. I've heard a lot about this church. I, I love your facility. I love the fact that you're a group of unfinished people in Columbia, South Carolina. I just love that on your podcast. Um, one of my predecessors at a church I served in Texas, Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church, was a man named Dr. Charlie Shedd. You may have heard that name. Charlie Shedd and his wife, Martha, they wrote many books and they taught classes on marriage and parenting and family life. Well, years ago, they taught a class and they titled it simply, How to Raise Children. By the way, they taught that class before they had any children. <laughs> then when they had children, they taught the same class, but they called it Suggestions on Raising Children. Then when the children were in the teenage years, they taught the same class, but they called it feeble hints from fellow strugglers. <laughs> so what Dawn meant to say is that today I've come all the way from Los Angeles to offer you a few feeble hints from a fellow struggler about what it means to follow Jesus as imperfect people in Columbia, South Carolina, or Los Angeles, California, or New York City, or wherever we live. God is good, and I'm honored to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. But our scripture today is not an easy one. It's from Romans 5, 1 to 5. And it's a tough word, actually. And as I read this, I'd love you to reflect on what God is saying to us through this very challenging text. In Romans 4, Paul has talked about get right with God by what Jesus Christ did on the cross and God raising Jesus from the dead. Now we get to Romans 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast or rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our afflictions or our suffering, knowing that suffering or affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, this is not an easy word, but it's a word that you want us to hear. So I pray, dear Lord, that you would pour through me today the gift of preaching, that these words might not simply be my human words or human opinions, but by a miracle of your grace, these words might become your living word to us. And we know they will, O oh God, for we pray with anticipation 
and boldness. And we pray in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may all God's people say, Amen. The defining moments of life come without warning. Isn't that true? There's no sign that starts out your day saying, be ready, be prepared, a challenge is ahead. There's no sign that says that. The defining moments of our life come without warning. I wonder what's been a defining moment in your life. September the 11th, 2001 was a defining moment in my life, I've got to tell you. When the planes hit the World Trade Center towers, the North Tower and the South Tower, and they imploded, it, chaos reigned in our city. That was a defining moment for me. Does anybody remember where you were on September 11th, 2001? I know some weren't born, but some, some do remember. Well, I was two miles north of the World Trade Center at a church called the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church that I served as pastor. And we were getting to work that morning. The planes hit at 8.46. So we were just getting to work and we were kind of getting our coffee and talking a little bit on the staff. And we heard this news and then the towers imploded and our city was in complete chaos. Smoke was bellowing everywhere. People were running and screaming for their lives. They weren't sure where they were going. They were just running. So we were calling through. We had some of our elders and deacons worked in the towers. Many of our members worked in the towers. So we were frantically calling people, trying to find anybody we could on the cell phone. And nobody would answer their phone, of course. The phones were so overloaded, they didn't really work anyway. And we couldn't get anybody. And there was panic. And what should we do? And our staff decided as time went on that we really needed to offer a prayer service for the city of New York. Maybe that night at, at seven o'clock, we'd offer a service. We were studying this and talking about it, getting our musicians ready, our music team in and all this. And then about 11.15, we were kind of in the midst of planning and our custodian, our director of operations, uh, who was in charge of our building, Derek Madalena, came in and said, Tom, uh, there's a hundred people sitting in the sanctuary. And I said, well, what are they doing down there? He said, well, they're just sitting there. I said, well, who are they? He said, well, they just came off the street. I don't know them. So we realized we couldn't wait till 7 o'clock that night to have a service. So we went down on the elevator. We had elevators in our building, and we went down on the elevator. And before we did, somebody said, you know, maybe we should bring robes as pastors, because if these are all people from the streets, they don't know that we're going to be pastors. So we put on our robes as if it was like a, a sun, Easter Sunday morning and a white stole. And we went out on the streets of New York, out on Fifth Avenue. Our church was right on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street. We put out a makeshift sign that said, prayer service, 12 o'clock, all welcome. And, and people started pouring into our sanctuary. And uh, there was chaos in the streets. The smoke was bellowing. And a man came running up to me, saw me in my robe. I didn't know him, never seen him before. And he just kind of dissolved in my arms with tears. And I noticed his shirt had blood on it. I said, sir, are you all right? Are you cut? And he could hardly say this. Uh, he was sobbing so hard. He said, I was late to work today. I work at the Trade Center. And I was late to work, so I didn't take a subway, as I always do. I took a, a cab. I was paying the cab driver about quarter to nine. And as the cab driver pulled away, I noticed a plane hit my building. So instinctively, I ran over thinking maybe there's something I could do to help, and I quickly realized there was nothing I could do to help, but the smoke was billowing all over the place, and people were opening the windows of the World Trade Tower, and he, he could hardly say this. They crawled out on the window and on the ledge, and, and they jumped. He said, I think this must be their blood. Then he dissolved in my arms again with tears, and he said, actually, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm looking for a little comfort. I, I was looking for a beer and a burger. And um, I, I'm thinking maybe I need a little comfort. And I said, sir, we're about to offer a prayer service. Would you like to come into our prayer service? He said, yeah, maybe that would help me. So he came in, but he, has he ever had anybody kind of just lean on you? He, I could feel his weight leaning on me as I brought him into the church and sat him down right in the front row and 
So we started the service, but what do you say? There were like 500 people at this point in the sanctuary, and what do you say to a group of people after this has happened? I didn't know what to say, but I found myself saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, so the mountains shake in the heart of the sea. And then we sang, our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. We said a few prayers, we read some scripture, and we finished the service. But this man who had come up to me, his name turned out to be David, he worked for a firm called Cantor Fitzgerald, he came running up to me and he said, now David's a New Yorker, you know, he wasn't a churchgoer, he wasn't a believer in God, he didn't know anything about it in this, so he's a New Yorker. So he ran up to me, and I hate to say it, but this is what he said, exactly. He said, that thing you said at the beginning of this service, I wrote it down, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. That is good stuff. Where did you get that? Is that, is that Tennyson? Is it John Keats? Is it Shelley? I said, no, no, sir, that's from the Bible. He said, the Bible? I said, yes, sir, Psalm 46. He said, I've never read the Bible. So I said, would you like a Bible? He said, I don't own a Bible. So I gave him a Bible. He took the Bible and he said, what should I be reading? Well, September 9th, two days earlier, was our homecoming Sunday. And we had ordered uh, about 5,000 bookmarks for people who came. And, and so on the bookmark, it had 50 great passages that everybody ought to read. So I gave them to our members that, who were there that day, 2,500. And, and uh, I said to our director of communications, Bob Brennan, we have 2,500 left over. What are we going to do with all the leftovers? And Bob said on September 11th, September 9th, I think we're going to need them. So on September 11th, when this young man from Cantor Fitzgerald said, what should I be reading? I said, would you like one of our Bible bookmarks? We gave away, during that day, we had services at 12, 2, 4, 6, and 8, every two hours. And we gave away 2,500 bookmarks that day. We ordered 5,000 more, 5,000 more, 5,000 more. We gave away over the course of the next couple of months 20,000 bookmarks. I wish I'd sold them for 29.95. I could have paid my son's way through law school. But anyway, uh, so we sold these bookmarks. But here's David, this David from Cantor Fitzgerald. He read the 50. Then he read them again. Then he read them again. Then he started coming to church. David wasn't a believer. He had lots of questions. He worked for Cantor Fitzgerald. Do you know that name? 658 people for Cantor Fitzgerald were killed in the World Trade Center from the 101st to the 105th floor of the, in the North Tower. And David should have been up there. So what he's dealing with is, I was late to work. I overslept, and I'm late to work, and I'm alive. And the people who are on time for work, they died. What sense does that make? And David had survivor's guilt. But at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church, he found a community of fellow sufferers who suffered with him, who didn't have answers, asked questions, listened to him, talked with him, prayed with him. And about six months after 9-11, I had the great privilege of my life to baptize David in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It was a wonderful moment. And, and David professed his faith. Isn't it interesting? He was looking for a beer and a burger. And he found a community of faith that stood with him in his time of need. And actually, God found him on September the 11th, 2001. You know, instead of speaking from up here in the front, I, I wish I could sit with all of you one-on-one. -on -one, or I'd like to have a cup of coffee or take a walk with you. Because what I'd really love to ask you is, when in your life have you ever had to enroll in the school of suffering? You know, suffering isn't really a choice. We, life just brings suffering upon us in a moment in time. But, but when have you had to suffer in your life? When have I suffered? I'd love us to talk about it. And in the midst of suffering, I'd love to ask you, what did you learn about God in the midst of suffering? What did you learn about yourself in the midst of suffering? What did you learn about other people in the midst of suffering? Did you ever hear from somebody you didn't expect to hear from when you were in the midst of suffering? Or some people you expected to call you, never even called you, never even sent you a text or an email. 
that's a mystery of suffering. We're so uncomfortable with it. So as we get in a little more to this Romans 5, this text, this isn't easy, but I wish we could talk together about when, when we have been or are in the school of suffering. And if you're suffering right now, not only my heart goes out to you, but all of our hearts go out to you, but God's heart is closest to you most of all. So think of what the text said. Therefore, since we're justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that, what could be more than sharing the glory of God? We rejoice or we boast in our sufferings. Now the word used there is a Greek word makarios and it means a deep abiding inner joy that no circumstance could ever take away. It's different from happiness from a word hap, H-A-P, which means chance. If by chance your circumstances are good, you're happy. But makarios is not happiness. It has nothing to do with circumstances. Makarios is that deep joy you know that God is with you, God's holding on to you, and God will never, ever let you go. That's makarios, a deep joy that God is with you in whatever you're going through, good or bad, God is with you and will not let you go. That's makarios. So we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, God doesn't cause all suffering. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that in the midst of suffering, we tend to think, well, where is God? Well, God is doing a work in the midst of the suffering we can't imagine, but we don't see it until we go move on some years. Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish theologian, said, we live our lives moving forward. We understand them looking back. When we look back on suffering, sometimes we can say, aha, so maybe God was up to more than I ever dreamed. God's ability to bring good out of evil, bring something out of suffering that's positive is unbelievable. Suffering is a gift from God if we see it that way, that God can use to do something working in us. And here's what God does in us. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. You don't get true hope, makarios, the deep joy nothing can take away, without the suffering. This is the hard part of this lesson. Suffering, when the pressures of life come in on you, when, when you have these challenges in life, it produces endurance. Have you ever experienced endurance? Perseverance, hanging in there no matter what. The Greek word is hupomone, hanging in there no matter what. When I played basketball some years ago in high school and college, we had a coach, and um, this coach was kind of diabolical. At the end of every, pra every practice, we were exhausted, but we had to do wind sprints up and down the court. We were exhausted. But then the coach would say, okay, guys, one final thing, keep away. And he would put the five starters out the, on the court, and then he'd get the five members of the second team and go out. And we'd play just for, he said, if, you, if the starters can keep the ball away from the second team for 30 seconds, then practice is over. But the diabolical part was this. After five seconds, the coach puts in a sixth person on defense, and then a seventh person on defense, and then an eighth person on defense. So soon, the starters are trying to keep the ball away for 30 seconds from eight defenders, and that's tough to do. So the practice went on and on and on. And when practice ended, we were so exhausted. Some were sick to their stomach, and we went down the locker room. People were throwing their shoes against the locker room and cursing the coach, and I was in the corner praying. But the other guys were kind of <laughs> cursing the coach and, and all that. And Anyway, then when our game against our rival, George Mason, came along, and we were winning by two points with 40 seconds left of the game, the coach calls timeout and says, okay, guys, play keep away. Now, we had endurance. So we could do it. We kept the ball away from six, seven, and eight people. It was much easier to keep it away from five and we won the game, and then after the game, we're saying, our wonderful coach is terrific. You know, I knew it all along. I knew it all along. But isn't that the way God works? Suffering, you don't want it, but suffering can produce endurance. It can make you stronger. And endurance produces character, 
And that word is dokaime. It's the word for when steel is, the impurities are burned off of steel in a blast furnace. Or sterling silver is manufactured. Or diamonds, rubies, or emeralds are made. They're made in heat, and they're made in pressure, and they're made in suffering. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces gems, steel, silver, diamonds, rubies, emeralds. You're the same on the inside as you are on the outside, but you don't get that. <laughs> without suffering. And the suffering produces the endurance. It's the endurance, the hanging in there no matter what, that burns off the impurities. And you become a stronger, better person of character. We don't want to be in this school. We don't want to learn these lessons. But the suffering produces the endurance. The endurance produces the character. It's the character that produces hope. Because you realize, if God can use me if God can make something out of a sinner, we just confessed it, like me. If God can take the, the rubbish and the garbage of my life and turn it into something amazing, then God can do anything. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope that God is with us, holding on to us no matter what, and God will never, ever, ever let us go. That is amazing good news. I wish, not only would I love to take a walk with you, but I'd like to bring in two of my best friends, Don and John. They live in Houston, Texas. I was their pastor for some years. Well, Don Smith is the picture of health. Mr. Personality, he jogs regularly, he plays tennis. He's phenomenal. But some years ago, sadly, Don, who jogged regularly, took good care of himself, had a stroke as confined to a wheelchair. So here's this Mr. Personality, bigger than life, and he's now confined to a wheelchair. So his good friend John said, um, Don, we want to start a prayer group. So every Wednesday morning, 7 o'clock, we're going to meet a group of guys, 7 to 8.30, before we go to work, and we're going to have breakfast together, we're going to talk together, pray together. And he said, Don, I want to push you, because you've got to get involved in something greater than yourself. You've got to get involved in something so great that you can help other people. So Dawn started a ministry to people who'd had strokes and were confined to a wheelchair. It's a phenomenal ministry, but John was the one who helped him get beyond himself in his time of suffering so that he could share what he was learning with other people. Some years later, after this group had been going some years and Dawn had this wonderful ministry to people in a wheelchair, John's daughter... 24 years old, was missing. I hate to tell you the rest of the story. They looked for her car. They went to her work. They talked to her friends. They talked to the guy she was dating. Nobody knew anything about it. Now, this Christine, John's daughter, was so responsible, so beautiful, such character, that you knew she wouldn't have just gone missing. So they looked, and they looked, and they looked. And several weeks later, the police called, and they found Christine's body in the woods under a pile of leaves. And she was dead. She'd been murdered. Well, how would John deal with this? So he calls the, this group of men, the support group for Don, his buddy, and said, I can't be there this Wednesday. And John was always there. I can't be there this Wednesday. My daughter was just found murdered in the woods. I, obviously, I can't come, and the group understood. But then Don said, who was already at the meeting, Don said, I need to see John. Please, could he come just for a moment? Well, John, you know, how would you go? I mean, your daughter had just been killed. I mean, how in the world could you even go? Think about going. But John went because he loved Don. And he went and pulled into the driveway, and when he got out of his car, Don had wheeled his wheelchair out to the curb, and John walked over. And John, if you knew him, was a very tall, lean, good-looking guy, and he's, he's just kind of got it all together, and he doesn't cry much, and he's, he doesn't have a lot of vacillation to personality. But, but John, that day, when he walked over to where Don, Don just held out his arms to him. And this very subdued man who had always had it all together, John, 
knelt down in the ground, and Dawn just gave him a big hug. And the two of them hugged. And when they hugged, they sobbed like little four-year-old boys. And when they sobbed and sobbed, John, Smith, John Van Osdahl said later that when Dawn hugged him, it was as if he felt the presence of God. It was as if he was in the arms of a loving God who loved him more than he could imagine. And he realized, listen to this, he was with somebody who kind of understood his suffering, who had had to let go of so much himself that he understood a little bit of what John was going through. And so they hugged one another and they formed a fellowship of suffering. But here's the amazing story, Dawn, who John had said, Don, I want you to get beyond yourself and start a ministry to others. Don, then, in the guy in the wheelchair, said to John, I want you to start a ministry, too, to people who've had a loved one who's been murdered. Today, in Houston, Texas, there is a phenomenal ministry for people who have had relatives who have been shot and killed. And there's a lot of them. And there's a big ministry in Houston that John and his wife are leading for people who've had somebody in their family killed, all because Dawn said, you need to get outside yourself and get involved in something bigger than yourself. And wait till you hear this. They also have a ministry to men and women in prison on death row because what they realized is what happens to those people who have committed a crime like this? They're sentenced to life in prison. They're never going to get parole, but they're going to sit there for the rest of their life. And John and his wife now have a ministry to men and women who've committed these violent crimes. I said, maybe you would say, how in the world do they do that? Well, here's how they do it. Because suffering is not the last word on today. Suffering and affliction is not the end. The word, it's excruciating, suffering is. But you know the word excruciating comes from the Latin excrucis, out of the cross? The reason suffering is not the end of the story is that the cross is not the end of Jesus' story. Jesus died on the cross. He suffered on the cross. He had affliction on the cross. He bled on the cross. He died on the cross. They took him down from the cross. They buried him. And three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. So out of excruciating suffering, Jesus became the savior of the world. This is why Paul can say, suffering, it isn't easy, but suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. What's better news than that? God is in us. God is with us. God is holding on to us. That is such incredible good news that no suffering, no suffering, no matter how challenging it is, can ever, ever take away. Don't ever forget it. Amen.
Lord, we don't understand why suffering exists. We don't understand why one person suffers and another does not. We don't want to be enrolled in the school of suffering. And yet we find ourselves enrolled, many of us, suffering different losses, remembering days like 9-11. Many of us remember how we reeled in the pain and terror of that moment. And we suffer wounds turned scars. So we pray, O oh Lord, this day for our nation's leaders. We pray, O oh Lord, this day for our world's leaders. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would turn to you in times of suffering and that we would follow you from suffering to endurance, from endurance to character, from character to our hope in you. We pray this day for those suffering in hospital beds, friends of ours, strangers, for those waiting in waiting rooms, for family and friends who have to wait in the car for their turn to go in. We pray for those anticipating surgery this week and for those recovering. We pray for those struggling near death we pray for the dying body and the verbal and nonverbal goodbyes, for the life you promise us after. God, we pray this day for marriages that are strained, for suffering that happens between people when trust is no longer. We pray, O oh Lord, for the suffering we don't know about, for the people who suffer in silence, who don't want helping hands or friendly words, we pray your nearness to them. And we pray together, O oh Lord, the words you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you now to stand and to affirm with me what we believe. Friends, what do we believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
I just want to say a word about what an honor it's been for me to be here today. Do you know what a great gift God has given this church in Don Hyde, your pastor? Wow. And she is tremendous. And this weekend is her birthday. Woohoo! And these musicians and your staff are just incredible. You know, Queen Elizabeth died on Thursday. But that was the day she actually met the king. I'm not talking about King Charles. I'm talking about King Jesus. She met G Jesus that day. And we don't have to wait to meet Jesus till we get to the kingdom of heaven. We can meet Jesus right now. In fact, the kingdom of God is within us. It's like a little child. So the kingdom of God is right here. But as you go into the world, may you remember that there are people suffering and we can be Jesus to them. We can be God with skin on to them, providing comfort, providing care, providing prayer, providing love. It is an inestimable privilege to walk with someone through the school of suffering. 
And when we go through suffering ourselves, may we remember that God is with us. So now as we go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each of us now and forevermore. May it be so. And may all God's people say, Amen. If you feel compelled to support the church financially, you can give a secure gift online at downtownchurch.me forward slash give.